So if they don't get normal amounts of sleep, then then they can't remember things properly. They get lost trying to come back from the hive and things like this. Is that why we're seeing not an abundance of bees, but quite, you know, the contrary? It's definitely a factor, I think. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Backstory. I'm Dana Lewis. On this edition, bees. We don't do enough stories on the environment here, and this is an important one. Where have all the bees gone? One of the most important organisms on the planet is seeing a steep decline in population. In a new study published in Cell Press, scientists reveal a troubling statistic. 25% of all known bee species have disappeared since the 1990s. A few examples of the food that would no longer be available to us if bees ceased pollinating our agricultural goods are broccoli, asparagus, cantaloupes, cucumbers, pumpkins, blueberries, watermelons, big breath, almonds, apples, cranberries, and cherries. Bees are easily amongst the most important insects to humans on Earth. Humble, buzzing bugs, critical to the planet. And our favorite fruits and vegetables, their delicious honey, in beautiful flowery gardens. Well, it seems that humans are to blame, you probably knew that was coming, and the use of pesticides. And we can stop it. All right, Dr. Kaya Tasman uh, works at the University of Bristol. She's a teaching associate of the School of Physiology, Pharmacology, and Neuroscience, and the lead author on studies on sleepless bees. Have I got that right? Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. What led you to, to study the sleep patterns of bees? So basically, there's been a lot of research coming out recently showing that uh, neonicotinoid pesticides have pretty bad effects for bees. And one of the things that didn't really get studied um, was the effects on, on the body clock and sleep. And those are really important for bees because they have to be out in the daytime foraging and collecting nectar and pollen. So we were just really curious if there was an effect there. And what did you find? Uh, so we found that the bees who were given a little dose of this neonicotinoid, the kind of dose that they would get uh, just flying around in the field, pollinated crops, uh, they were much more likely to sleep during the daytime um, and to try and go out and forage in the nighttime. So it caused a kind of mistiming of their normal behaviors and shows that the body clock's kind of messed up by these pesticides. So what are these pesticides? I mean, you know, I can tell you that 20 years ago, we were doing stories on DDT and how they were softening the eggshells of falcons and why, you know, a, a lot of nesting birds were, were not able to reproduce at the rates they had to. They banned some of those pesticides. These are very different ones. Yeah, so these are, are quite recent. They kind of came in into the market in the 90s and they're based on nicotine, which is why they're called neonicotinoids. Uh, so nicotine has been used in the form of tobacco as a pesticide for you know centuries, but this is a new version which can be put kind of onto the seeds of crops and then it grows into all the tissues and that's causing a lot of the problems because then it appears in the nectar and in the pollen of, of flowers. And so it's pre-coated onto seeds and then as the, as the crops germinate and grow, then it's within the plant. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so for bees, uh, this is a lot of sleepless nights. Yeah. And well, sleepless, I, sleepless, sorry, sleepless when? And also, I thought bees didn't sleep. 
Oh, they do. Yeah. Well, pretty much all organisms sleep. And for bees, it's really important for, for things like memory and navigation. So that's when kind of the memories consolidate. So if they don't get normal amounts of sleep, then, then they can't remember things properly. They get lost trying to come back from the hive and things like this. Is that why we're seeing not an abundance of bees, but quite, you know, the contrary? It's definitely a factor, I think. And these pesticides we showed and other people have shown as well that it, it generally kind of reduces their foraging motivation. So not only are they going out to forage at the wrong times of day, but they're also foraging much, much less. And that means the colony can't grow and then it can't reproduce. It can't make new bees. My mother used to keep bees on our farm north of Toronto. So I know how important bees are to crops and flowers. And I'm not sure people understand the the width and the, the breadth of what they what they mean to nature do you want to tackle mm. that yeah for sure so uh in europe uh 80 of kind of wildflowers and 84 percent of crops are pollinated and bees are the major pollinators in in europe and across most of the world so without them there's lots of food that we couldn't eat at all um, and most foods would really struggle to kind of produce the the amount of crop that they do at the minute so it would have catastrophic effects for biodiversity and and for our diet and health as well. But are we starting to see that now? Like, I mean, so I, I was reading one-sixth of flowering plant species worldwide and approximately 400 different agricultural types of plant are, are you know, rely on bees for pollinization. So pollination, not pollinization. Pollination, I guess, is the right word. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, definitely, I think... Uh, some places there's definitely in countries like China they're starting to see real issues with not being enough bees around to pollinate and trying to find alternative ways to pollinate flowers obviously if you need to get people to do all of that pollination then it's just it's not not really economically a viable they've, solution they've experimented with mechanical bees yes robot bees. yeah i've seen bits and pieces about this I mean, it's. But I don't know what the progress is on that. You know, when we're trying to intervene with nature that much, what we should just be having is a is a healthy environment so that bees and the environment can, you know, sustain itself. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we already have these bees who do this job perfectly, so we just need to protect them. Okay, so Kaya, what is the political debate on these pesticides? Because right now, I understand they're banned in the UK. Yeah, they're banned in the UK and across Europe. So there was an EU-wide ban that came into effect a couple of years ago, um, banning the use of all of these pesticides. And then this year, and also kind of throughout the ban, the, the UK government has been granting like special allowances. So this year, they've just allowed the use of neonicotinoids on sugar beet crops. And the argument is that because sugar beets don't flower, these are kind of safe for, for bees but um, it's just a concerning kind of trend. So we're seeing like more and more of these special allowances being granted. And the worry is that post-Brexit, when we're not covered by this EU ban, um, there'll just be a kind of blanket reinstatement of these pesticides. Right, because once now that the UK is out of, out of the European Union, a lot of those environmental regulations go poof. Yeah, exactly. And so this is a good time actually to take an interest in this because the, the UK is kind of trying to uh, figure out what its pesticide policy is going to be going forward. Why don't the farmers just switch to some alternative or, or, or is it just always this problem with pesticides in general? They just always have some kind of, you know, negative effect on the environment one way or the other. 
Yeah, I mean, most pesticides, none of them are specific. So any effects that they have on the pest, they will generally have on bees as well. Uh, and the kind of the seed coating issue with neonicotinoids definitely makes things worse for bees. Um, but there isn't a great alternative at the minute. I think the thing to do would to be looking at different ways of farming. So stopping having such huge swathes of agricultural land that kind of attract pests really easily and looking into things like biopests um, controls, things like wasps and stuff that could be used instead that would be more specific. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the uh, the environmental you know, the environmental downside of, of not having Europe as a whole kind of working together is that then they'll get spotty different regulation. But so where do you go from here? So you've, you've established that there's a negative trend there. Does that have enough impact on regulators to get them to stand up and take notice and stop, you know, allowing that, those pesticides to go out? Uh, hopefully. I mean, the kind of the weight of the scientific literature definitely helped the EU uh, make the decision to ban neonicotinoids. And there's still ongoing research, constantly new effects being found of these pesticides. So hopefully kind of all of that together will result in some positive change. Kai, I was, I was reading with interest how different researchers, when it comes to bee research, um, some of them are funded by industry and by, by the pesticide industry. So there's quite a debate within the research community. Yeah. I mean, the, the number of studies showing kind of that there aren't effects of neonicotinoids are definitely in the minority. Uh, generally, the consensus is that these, these have a bad effect on, on beneficial insects. All right. Dr. Tasman from the University of Bristol. Great to talk to you. And you. Thank you. All right, from the University of Sussex, I want to introduce you to Professor Dave Golson. Hi, Dave. Hi, hey, Dave. So you are an expert, I think, on bees and pesticides. And the very first thing I asked you off camera was how to say this word, <laughs> neocotinides. Yeah, yeah, I think you missed you laughed at me. So please, please say it. Neonicotinoids. Neonicotinoids. Yeah. Neonix is how they're usually um, abbreviated. It's nicotine. Based it's, on their new nicotine is, I guess, is where the, what the word means, neonicotinoids. So they're, they're variants on nicotine, synthetic, artificial, sort of playing around with the nicotine molecule. Neonicotinoids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's a serious, it's a serious matter. And I love bees and... Uh, it's funny, every time I go to my mother's farm north of Toronto, we talk about the fact that there are a lot of bees there. And she has a 100-acre farm, um, and she used to keep bees. So we always had honey when we were kids, and but we are very aware of the fact. And in other places, they're constantly talking about the fact that bees have been disappearing. And you believe, um, and you have for many years, because I've seen you in videos even from 2016 and probably before that, saying that these pesticides are killing them or preventing them um, from, from breeding and functioning. Yeah, I think the evidence is uh, overwhelming. There have been hundreds, literally hundreds of studies of this subject since, uh, well, these neonics 
came on the market in the mid-1990s. So they're actually relatively new chemicals, but have been around for about 25, 26 years now. And concern about their impacts on bees was raised almost immediately by French beekeepers who noticed that their bees were dying near uh, sunflower fields treated with this new chemical. And, and so that sparked off scientists investigating. And um, I didn't get involved until about 2012 um, when we started doing research on this in my lab. Um, and I, I think the evidence is particularly strong for impacts on wild bees. Um, so when you say bee, um, there are 20,000 species of bee in the world that we know of. And so, but often people think you're talking about the honeybee. So let's just be clear here. We're talking more broadly. The, the evidence is really strong that these chemicals impact on um, wild bees like bumblebees, which are my area of speciality, which are really important insects for pollination and so on. Um, it, if anything, honeybees are probably better able to cope than wild bees because they live in these big colonies. And if they lose a few hundred or a few thousand workers through poisoning uh, or through navigational error, which is a sublethal effect of these chemicals, then the colonies might still make it through, whereas wild bees have much smaller nests or are solitary and they just can't, you know, they're, they're, so the impacts are much more severe on them. So, Dave, what do you think, first of all, what is the chemical and what do you think it's doing to the bees? Do you think it's killing them? So the, um, these neonics, they're, um, they're synthetic variants of nicotine that uh, have been made in the lab um, they're neurotoxins. They're, they attack the, the brain and the nervous system of insects, not just bees, any insect. And if you give them a big enough dose, and it's a very small dose, I should say, um, it'll kill them. Um, so just to illustrate, um, the honeybee is a kind of standard test animal. And the, the, the lethal dose for a honeybee is about four billionths of a gram. Um, uh, which, to put that in context, means... You wouldn't see it on the tip of a ballpoint pen, probably. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. It's, you can't get your head around that. It's a very tiny amount. Um, but so to, to make, make it easier to visualise, five grams, which is a teaspoon of one of these chemicals, would be enough to deliver a lethal dose to one and a quarter billion uh, honeybees. So they're pretty potent. But a, but a, a smaller dose affects the, the the bees in sublethal ways. And there's been a lot of interest in this because even, you know, I mean, four billionths of a gram is not very much, but a tenth of that will leave the bee confused, unable to, to navigate, unable to find its way back to its nest, impairs its immune system, um, and reduces its fertility. There's a whole bunch of other things to it. Um, so it really doesn't take much of one of these chemicals to, to harm bees, unfortunately. How is the chemical applied? Is it applied to the plant uh, by the farmer or is it already coated on the seed? Uh, it can be either. Um, the majority use in Europe has been as seed dressings. Uh, so as you say, a, a coating that's applied to the seed before the farmer gets it. But they are also used as, as sprays in some circumstances on some crops. And that's particularly common in um, developing countries, actually. I was struck by one of your videos where you were, you were kind of lying out in the garden and you were saying bees are disappearing. You know, plant bee friendly plants that 
they can pollinate and that they need. Uh, but then at the same time, you said when you're buying seeds, you may think you're buying something that's good for bees and it may have this insecticide. Yeah, well, that's particularly a worry, actually, not so much for buying seeds because flower seeds sold in garden centers are usually not treated with pesticides. So it's the plants. Plant- yeah. If you if you buy a you know these beautiful flowers, you go to a garden center and they they have these lovely flowers in full bloom. They look fantastic, and you think, oh yeah, that would look great in the garden. Um, and some of them um, are actually sold as as bee friendly. The label has a picture of a bee on it to, to flag up to so people who want to attract bees to their garden, you know, those are the plants they head to. I find that outrageous then as a consumer that I would go in and buy a plant that has a picture of a, of a bee on it. And I would think that I'm buying something to help bees. And in fact, it may have a pesticide in it that's killing bees. Yeah. So 75% of the plants we tested contain some kind of insecticide and 70% of them contain one of these neonics. And they also, I should say, contained a whole bunch of other pesticides, fungicides and so on. 70 of plants you tested from where? So this is in the UK. Um, This hasn't been done in in many other countries. Um, But we we basically went to all the the big chain garden centres in the south of England and we bought whatever happened to be in flower that they were selling as bee-friendly and we screened them for pesticides. So a whole bunch of common, pretty garden flowers that that you might well buy to grow in your own garden. 75% 75% of them contained insecticides. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's depressing, really. Um, but it, it was banned in Europe, was it not? More or less. So it's complicated, as always, these things. Are le- less, less than more. Okay. Uh, so, actually, there are several different variants on, of Neonix, um, about seven different versions of it, all with long, complicated names that, unless you really want me to, we'll skip over. I have Um, a hard enough time with uh, neonics. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Um, So the three most commonly used ones were banned in Europe in 2018 um, for more or less all uses uh, in in agriculture, at least. but there are a couple of it. There, there are three kind of exceptions. One is that there are some other neonics that are u- fairly minor uses, but that are, weren't covered by the ban. Um, another is that um, farmers can apply for what are called derogations. So if they say, I can't grow my crops without these chemicals, I've got this emergency, I've got a whole bunch of pests wiping out my crop, I need to use neonics. Uh, and if they can convince, the government that that's true, then the government can say, okay, off you go, ignore the ban. Um, and then the like final... beet, beet farmers apparently in the UK have applied for it. Successfully, yeah. So the, right now there's, there's a bit of a sort of um, battle going on because sugar beet farmers um, applied to the government for this derogation because they've had a problem with aphids and uh, particularly aphids vectoring a viral disease of their sugar beet called beet yellows. Um, Is there not an alternative for farmers? Well, they say not. Um, uh, And certainly yields are down a little this year, um, something like 20-25%, which is probably not all due to the the virus, actually, because there was also a drought this spring, which didn't help. But uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, they managed to convince the government that there's no alternative. Um, I mean, personally... You're, you're not happy with that. Well, I, you know, the, these chemicals were banned for very good reason. Um, they're, you know, not just dangerous to bees, but dangerous to all insect life. Um, they, they, they're persistent. They last for years. So these farmers using them now, they'll be in the soil and they'll be leaching into streams um, several years from now as a result of, of this use. Um, so, you know, we, we're saying, OK, we're going to put up with large scale environmental damage for the sake of a few percent more uh, on the yield of sugar beet, which is actually just to, as an interesting angle here, sugar beet is a product that is only used to make refined sugar, which is essentially bad for us. So we're damaging the environment to produce something that we know we should eat less of. Um, it's interesting internationally, right? Because I, I was trying to read in here a little bit that the Canadian federal government, uh, where I'm from, they have been taking steps to phase out, starting in 2021, the use of those pesticides. And then just across the border, which by the way, bees don't respect, the US uh, Environmental Protection Agency um, is not taking that action and is allowing the at least five big uh, uh, neonic pesticides to remain in the U.S. marketplace. Yeah, it, it is. It is interesting, isn't it? And hard to make sense of. Um, but you know, exactly the same data are available to everybody. You know, all the same studies are available to the to the U.S. regulators, the Canadian regulators, the EU regulators. In, in Europe, they decided. You know, there's no doubt these things are harming particularly bees and probably more broadly insects. Um, Canada clearly is inclined to, to think that and is not, not been quite so proactive, but he's heading in that direction now, trying to phase them out. But the US is, has always been more gung-ho about pesticides and in, in fact uses um, a lot more pesticides, not just neonics. Um, there are many other chemicals that have been banned by Europe for one reason or another, that are still allowed in. I remember uh, as a young reporter covering the, the, the deaths of falcons and the, the, the reduction in numbers of falcons and the fact that we continued around the world to use DDT. And uh, it went on and on and on before, I believe it, it was finally banned pretty well internationally, but a lot of third world countries continued to use it. And here we are with with bees and you know a dramatic and we hear about it all the time a, re, a dramatic reduction in bee populations and yet what does it take to to get them to act on a pesticide that obviously just should be banned but well i would say that uh, and many others would agree um, but clearly not everybody and I, I there's a powerful lobby trying to keep these pesticides um uh, you know still on the market so, the, so there's a little bit of politics there with, with the companies, are there? Because they go off and they fund in, independent studies. I'm saying that in quotation marks because they're really not independent, some of them. And so it's it's the battle of who came out with their latest review paper. Right? You must find yourself in that in that ring. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, there, there are some really obvious parallels with what happened with the tobacco industry, you know, in the second half of the 20th century, where they the industry did everything it could to confuse, it funded its own research, which found that smoking didn't cause any health problems for humans. And uh, 
they managed to delay for decades until they, you know, finally in the end. Um, some... And that was human death. And now we're talking about bees. I would think that bees will be at the back of the bus on this one. Well, yeah, although, the, I mean, the, there is some optimism uh, or room for optimism because I, bees have become a bit of a sort of poster child for, you know, uh, representing the plight of insects and and people recognize that bees are really important so um sure they're not as important to us as our own health but uh, nonetheless i think people are realizing that that indirectly bees health and our health are pretty closely linked and we need and they're and they're a bellwether of the environment in their own way absolutely i it's it, it particularly good actually as a as a way of detecting the, the health of the environment because they forage over a big area they bring back food and sadly pesticides from a from a large area so they give you a pretty they're a good kind of environmental monitoring tool really dave golson from the university of sussex great to talk to you i think it's really an important issue i think so many people care about the environment today um, and I think a lot of people will get behind this issue, among others. Um, and it's great that you speak out about it. Thank you so much. Pleasure. And that's our backstory on bees and pesticides. Make sure you take the advice. And when you buy flowers and plants, buy flowers that bees will thrive on pollinating. And make sure to buy plants that do not have pesticides. You can ask. Seeds are better. Okay, if you like Backstory, we ask you to subscribe wherever you listen. And if you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com backslash backstory. That's ratethispodcast.com backslash backstory. And you can say whatever you want. I'm Dana Lewis. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you again soon.